The great pastor, theologian, reformer Martin Luther, he said this about music. He said, um, second to the word of God, music is God's greatest gift to the world. Second to the word of God, music is God's greatest gift to the world. The prophet Taylor Swift, uh, she would follow that up and she would say, um, people haven't always been there for me, but music always has. (laughs) See, music has this this way of connecting our soul to experiences. Uh, Music has the ability to intertwine our soul with moments, significant moments in our life. So much so when you hear a, a, a song on the radio that you can remember where you were, you could smell the aroma of the setting and environment that you were in, you could, you could feel all the emotions that you felt in that moment. Be it good or bad, music has that ability to do that. See, we all have anthems in our lives. Uh, do you have an anthem? Maybe for you it's, uh, I ain't got no satisfaction, you know, the good old Rolling Stones song. It's your power jam. It's your power ballad. Maybe it's Edge of Seventeen, you know, Stevie Nicks. No? Wrong, wrong crowd. We'll try that at the five. Do you have a five? No, not today. Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe yours is the Eye of the Tiger, or We Are the Champions, or, you know, when you hear it, it just makes you come alive. It puts you back in that that environment that you were once in. It deeply connects your soul to a moment in life. Um, Maybe it was um, Bohemian Rhapsody. Maybe it's Katy Perry's roar. When you hear it, you just, you just feel so strong. I have a power anthem, uh, and I'm a little embarrassed to say what it is, but it's uh, Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. No judgment here. Um, and my dream is always to go to, um, I'd love to go to Vegas and catch uh, Celine Dion show. And I can picture it in my mind's eye, you know, sitting on the bleacher, you know, the cheap seats, of course. And the crowd, you know, going, Celine, 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 beckoning her to come out for an encore, you know, and, and her, you know, coming out through the fog of, through the cloud of, of mist and bright lights and pyrotechnics, maybe even fireworks going off as Celine rises through the occasion as she belts out, my heart will go on with scenes from the Titanic in the background, you know, Jack and Rose. That's my dream. That song just awaken something in my soul. It's an anthem that reminds me of a moment in my life. Maybe for you, there are songs that remind you of that joy, that first baby, that triumph, that mountaintop experience. For some of us, it's a song that reminds us of those deep valleys, your first love that was broken, your heart that was broken that very first time it happened. We all have anthems. This morning, we're going to look at, a, at an anthem by the Apostle Paul. It's a doxology in what a doxology simply is, it's a song of praise, an expression of praise unto God that diverts our attention to him. It could be in the form of a lyric, it could be in a, uh, in a form of a hymn, it could be a psalm, it could be a song that we sing. But Paul is going to share with us one of the most famous anthems ever recorded in Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, meet me in Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to look at the, two, the last two verses of Ephesians 3, verse twenty. And 21. This is probably some of the most potent, some of the most famous words um, that the Apostle Paul would love to share with us. 
uh, this morning. So if you're there, say, I'm there. If you're not there, there's a table, a table of contents in the front of your Bible, and there is no shame in going to the table of contents. Uh, Ephesians 3, 20 to 21. This is part of a larger prayer that the Apostle Paul prays for this church in Ephesus. Remember, he's sitting in prison, not because he did anything wrong, but because of his faith, because of his, because of his desire to, to preach the gospel, to start churches, uh, to win people for Christ. So he finds himself somewhere in a prison in Rome under house arrest, chained to two Roman guards, Bubba and Thibodeau. I just made that up. We'll try that at the five again. Anyway, verse 20. Now to him, speaking of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. From the very get-go, he, he diverts our attention back to God. He says now to him. Now, previously in the prayer, here's what, here's what he's been praying for the, for the people of Ephesus. For you and I, he's been praying that God would strengthen them, that they would have inner strength. He's praying that they would grasp the love of God, not just the love of God, but the depth and the height and the width and the fullness of God. He, he prays that they would be full of God himself. And then he turns the corner, kind of the last few sentences of his prayer, and he says, now, now I want to set our gaze away from us and unto God. He wants to remind us that while we are an important creation, that we are, while we are important in the eyes of God as the supreme object of his creation, it's not, it's not entirely about us. He wants to remind us that the main point of the point is not us. It's not you, it's not me, but it's God himself. So he says, now to him be glory. See, if you're anything like me, I get really tunnel visioned into whatever's going on in my life. I, I become hyper-focused. For some of us, we get hyper-focused on the successes that we're experiencing, on the power, the possession, the prestige, and it breeds pride in us, right? And we treat God like, like, like he's our little helper, we have a two-year-old. That's just code for we're tired all the time. But our two-year-old's two -year favorite thing is, Daddy, I want to be your little helper. Actually, she says, I want to be your big helper. And we all know what that means. It means it's twice the work, twice the amount of chaos, twice the amount of mess, and twice the amount of gray hairs, right? But we treat God like, like he's our little helper. Like, God, it's all about me. I'm going to leverage my power. I'm going to power up. I'm going to leverage my possessions. I'm going to leverage my influence. I'm going to leverage what I have going for me. And we become hyper-focused and tunnel vision on our successes, which is not bad in and of itself, but it breeds in us pride to where, pride to where we ignore God and we become hyper-focused on us and our successes. So Paul says, while God desires for you to know his love, to be full of him, I want to switch your gaze back onto the one who ultimately matters, the creator of our souls. Now to him. Now on the flip side, some of us become hyper-focused, like our struggles in life, we become hyper-focused on our pain to where we, we can't see what God is doing in our lives. Matter of fact, we assume that God's silence is his absence. 
We assume that because we're going through this, whatever that is for you, maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe you're staring down the barrel of a health report. Maybe it's a kid thing that you just have no idea what to do. You've been nice. You've threatened. You've timed out. You've spanked. You have rewarded. And there is just nothing going on. There is just no change in sight. And we become hyper-focused on our struggle and our pain to where we think that God is not even active and present in our lives. We assume that God's inactivity means that he's mad at us, that he didn't like us, that for some reason we are doing something wrong and our actions are, and God's absence is a consequence of our actions. On the flip side, we become so hyper-focused on our struggles that we assume that God is just out there and he's ignored us. So in both scenarios, we've edged God out of our lives. So I love how Paul brings this full circle and he says, guys, while God desires all of this for you, switch your gaze onto the one who ultimately matters. Now to him be glory. See, we like to say it this way. Focusing on God's greatness puts everything in a perspective. Focusing on God's greatness puts everything in a perspective. It's like flying at 30,000 feet and having a full view of what's going on. Seeing the beauty of God's tapestry and his, his creative design in our world. It's like hitting the reset button on our soul. I like to put it that way. Because we all need to reset our souls. We all need to hit the reset button on our souls. I mean, we do it all over in life. You reset your devices, right? You take your car in for a reset. They call it a tune-up. I mean, some of you started this year doing a Whole30 diet. Nobody did a Whole30 diet. And the goal of that diet is to eat clean so that your body resets. I mean, you detox. That's why you drink kombucha. Okay, wrong crowd. We'll try that at OB next week. They drink kombucha. I know that for a fact. We all need resets. And sometimes our soul needs a reset too so that we can focus on God's greatness and we can have this proper perspective on life. See, the best way to reset our souls is through worship. Now, worship is not just the songs that we sing on stage, even though that's a big component of worship. Worship is what we do on a daily basis. Our jobs, when we pop open our scriptures and we have that time alone with God, when we pray, when we practice the spiritual disciplines, when we're generous, those are all expressions of worship. In our interactions, in our godly interactions with our, with our coworkers and spouses and neighbors, all of that is an act of worship. But there's something that worship does that recalibrates our hearts, that shifts our gaze off of a struggle or maybe even our successes. And it shifts our gaze back on to God. Here at Newbrig, we like to say it this way. One of our strategies is this, and you've probably heard Pastor Steve say this, that we want you to begin the week with worship. I would go so far as to say, hey, begin the day with worship because it sets the tone of our soul. It lays a spiritual foundation for everything that's about to happen so that it can build on top of that. Begin the week or begin the day with worship. There's something about worship that equalizes everything. Maybe you've watched the recent Denzel movie, The Equalizer. And in that show, he plays a cab driver, um, a, a vigilante whose single goal in life is to rid the world of evil. 
And where there is injustice, he steps in to make wrongs right. He equalizes the situation. That's what worship does for us. It equalizes the condition of our soul, so so much so that it shifts our gaze off of everything that's going wrong or everything that's going right, and it brings into focus the point of it all, namely Jesus. David, the greatest king in Israel, He wasn't the perfect king of Israel, but he was the greatest king of Israel. Matter of fact, he was so great that God himself, looking at David, referred to David as a man after his own heart. One of the things that marked David's life as so significant was that he was a worshiper. Matter of fact, more than half the Psalms, which are songs, which are doxologies, which are hymns of praise to God, surround this idea of God, of Jesus, sorry, uh, surround the idea of David worshiping God. And here's a few of my favorites. In Psalm 61, here's what David says. From the end of the earth, I will cry out to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to a rock that is higher than I. God, from the ends of the earth, when my heart is overwhelmed, which may be the condition of your heart in this room. He says this, don't take away the problem, but lead me to a place that is higher than I. Give me divine viewpoint. Take me to that 30,000 foot level so I can see your activity. When it seems like you're absent, help me see that you are actually present. God, give me proper perspective in the midst of it all. Love it is prayer. Help me shift my gaze off of everything that's surrounding me onto, onto you. He goes on to say in another, another psalm, Psalm 27, verse 1, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold, Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you know when he was writing this? He was writing this during a time in his kingship when he was surrounded by invaders and foreign enemy, enemies, when they were literally encamped around the nation of Israel, ready to attack and invade and decimate. In lieu of all of that, he says to God, God, you're my light and my salvation. You're the stronghold of my life. And because of that, why should I be afraid? I love that. There's something about worship that equalizes our lives and shifts our gaze off of everything that's going wrong or right and points us in the direction of God. Worship reminds me that God's strength is greater than my strength. He goes on in his prayer and he says this. He says, now to him who is able. Let me just park the RV right there. Because I don't know what's going on in your world, but perhaps you're going through life and everything is screaming at your face that God is unable. That health thing, that relational thing, that business thing, that dream in your heart thing that you really feel like God's placed in there for a reason. The world and life is just screaming at you that God is unable. Matter of fact, God is mad. God's not in the building. God's not in the vicinity. Surely God can't do that with you. I mean, come on, look at you. Look at you. God can't do that with you. Who do you think you are? Everything in life is screaming that God is unable. And yet Paul reminds us now to him who is able. The word able is the word power in Greek. That God's power is working in you. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That word immeasurably more. 
It's a fascinating word. Matter of fact, when you look at the original language, Paul uses three Greek words to come up with this one word. And he never, ever uses that word again. I wonder if he's sitting there writing this letter and he's saying, what do I want to tell these people about what God wants to do in their lives? And he's sitting there and he's thinking, well, there's no, there's no Greek word for, for what I want to convey to these people. So let me make up a word for that. And he puts three words together to describe what God wants to do in our lives. It literally means infinitely above and beyond all human measurement. Infinitely above and beyond all human measurement. That's what God wants to do in your life. That's what God wants to do in your marriage. That's what God wants to do with that dream that he's birthed within you. The dream that everyone is saying is impossible. God is able because of his power, and God wants to do do infinitely above and more than what you can imagine. See, the other thing that's really cool is that we love the word more. More. We think of it in terms of quantity, but that word immeasurably refers to both quantity and quality. That God's about to do something so quantitative in your life, but something of great quality. So hold on. So hold on. So hold on. So what does this mean for us? It simply means this. It means that we cannot take measured steps and expect immeasurable results. We cannot take measured steps and expect immeasurable results. For some of us, we need to take that step forward. We need to step out in faith. And for some of you, God is telling you to stop and to start. For some of you, God is telling you, don't worry, leave, I'm opening a new door for you. For some of you, God is telling you, stay, don't go nowhere because I'm actively moving in this circumstance. For some of you, God is saying, I know it's, I know it's, I know you're afraid and I know it's like stepping out of the boat, but why don't you, why don't you just worry about taking that first step? Don't worry about step 100. Take that first step and I'll meet you every step of the way. You cannot take measured steps and expect immeasurable results. Three years ago, my wife and I and a bunch of super people who are here this morning, we started a church in in Linda Vista because we felt like God was calling us to reach people who were far from God. We had no money. We had no New Break Church behind us. We had no PB campus behind us. We just knew that we knew that we knew that God had called us to do this. It was the greatest step of faith that I've ever taken, and I swore that I would never do it again. And we're launching Hillcrest in six weeks. God has a sense of humor. And I can tell you stories of great triumph. I can tell you stories of life change. I can look at the faces in this room and tell you what God did in their lives. I can also tell you stories of great struggle where we wondered where that next paycheck is going to come from. I can tell you stories of how our marriage was stretched to the very limit. I can tell you stories of how she worked a job like beyond full time to, so that I can do this dream. I can tell you stories of struggle. I can tell you stories of crying in the bathroom <laughs> before service because there are more people on stage than in the crowd. But we knew that we knew that we knew that we knew that God had called us. And three years later, we get to launch New Break's sixth campus down in Hillcrest in a community that deeply needs the love of Jesus. See, there would never have been a New Break Hillcrest had there not been a Hope Church three years ago. And sometimes God uses those environments to build something in us that otherwise could not be built. You cannot take measured steps and expect immeasurable results. What does that look like for you? Because God is calling you 
because he has that big, both qualitative and quantifiable thing that he wants to do in your life. He is able. Paul goes on to say this, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church. See, see, here's the thing. The thing that God wants to do in us, yes, it's for us. There's a personal dimension to it, but there's a corporate thing that goes on too, that the church is, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the vehicle through which God is going to use your gifts, your talents, your resources, your money to reach the world. The church as flawed and broken as it is, and the church will always be flawed because it's led by people like us. And the church down the street is not, the grass is not greener over there. So wherever God has called you to be, be planted. Commit yourself. Use your talents because that is how God is going to reach a world. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Here's what that means. Secondly, to experience the fullness of God's power, I must lay down my agenda. God's not a genie that we rub. We don't offer God a grocery list and say, hey, God, make this happen or else. God has a purpose and a plan for our lives, and it's a beautiful plan, and it's a plan that you could not cook up on your own. But for that to happen, we need to trust in his ability and his power, and we have to be willing to lay our agenda down, knowing that his plans for us are of supreme beauty and of supreme value. So as we wrap up our time together, we like to be really applicational around here. So what do we do with what we've just heard? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Yeah, a couple of things. One, maybe for some of you, God's calling you. I think of this story in Genesis 12. Father Abraham, the patriarch of our faith. One day God appears to him and says, Abraham, I know you ain't got no kids, but I'm going to make a nation out of you. You're going to have many descendants. Yeah. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a blessing. Everyone in the world is going to know about you and your descendants. Here's what I need you to do, Abraham. I want to do immeasurably more in your life. Here's what I need you to do. I I need you to up your family, leave the land of your ancestors, and go to a land that I will show you. And Abraham does it. And along the way, he's filled with so much of fear. You know how I know? Because time and time again, God would tell him, Abraham, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a great nation out of you. You're going to be a blessing. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing. And all the nations of the world, they're going to hear about you, Abraham. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know this is a step of faith, but trust me, I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Abraham, look at the stars. Can you count them? No. So many are your descendants going to be. Don't be afraid. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. People are going to call your great nation Jews. Never heard of them. Trust me. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Don't be afraid. Abraham, look at the sand. Can you count the grains of the sand? No. So many of your descendants going to be Abraham. Really? But we ain't got no kids. Trust me. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Abraham. One day, little kids are going to be singing about you. They're going to call you Father Abraham. But I ain't got no kids. Why are they calling me Father? Trust me, one day you will have many descendants. And they'll be singing about a Father Abraham who had many children. I'm your shield. I'm your great reward. Don't be afraid. 
Abraham, one day presidents are going to be named about you. Great presidents, not the average ones. The great ones are going to be named after you. Little boys are going to be named Abraham, but your name is going to stand far tall above them all. Abraham, don't be afraid. I'm your shield and I'm your exceedingly great reward. And you know the story of Abraham, the father of our faith, the father of our Messiah. See, for some of you in this room, God is calling you to do an Abraham. Maybe to, live the land, to leave the land of your ancestors, PB, and come down to Hillcrest. Yeah, I, I need you. We need you. We need your gifts and your talents and your, your resources and your skill set and what you bring to the table to reach people who are far from God. Not to fill a seat, but to serve and use your gifts to bless a community because you are blessed to be a blessing. So come on. I know it's scary, but take that step of faith and God will do immeasurably more than what you can hope or imagine. Now, for some of you, you don't need to go anywhere. You need to stay right here. And God is calling you to get off the sidelines. He's calling you to come into the game. He's saying, go in. He's your coach, and he's putting you in the game. And you need, you need to get plugged in, and you need to get serving. You need to use your gifts, your talents, because somebody needs what you have to offer. And here's, here's what I know about serving. Done this a long time. That God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And when you serve and use your gifts and use your talents and your resources, that's when you will feel most fulfilled. That's when you are the best version of yourself. Do you know that? That's when you are the happiest. So, what's the next step that God's calling you to take? Because you and I serve a God who wants to do immeasurably more than you can hope or dream or think or imagine. We're going to end our time in prayer, um, but at the end of the service, uh, Bart is um, going to be up front, and if you need prayer, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to connect with you about the opportunity at Hillcrest. We'd love to see how we can serve you more and get you plugged into the life of this church. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Father, to dive into these two verses. God, so we say now to him, who is able. So God, for, for some of us as we leave this room and we step into environments of the unknown, God, some of us, we're stepping into impossible environments. God, and we just need to know that you're able. So would you whisper that into our souls? Some of us, Father, the successes of life, God, the pains of life has shifted our gaze away from you onto that. So Father, I pray now to him that you remind us, God, that you are the main point of it all. You are the main player. You are the main character. And that we can hope and trust in you with full confidence. God, for some of us in this room, Father, there are dreams and there are desires in our souls, God, that have been buried deep because we have believed the voice of the world that says that you are unable. As a matter of fact, you are mad at us. So this morning, God, I pray that your truth will break forth and break out, that you would cause those dreams to come alive again in our souls. So with that, God, I pray for open doors of opportunity. I pray for inspiration. I pray for hope, Father, that would guard and gird our minds and our hearts, Father, as we lean into your greatness this morning. I pray, God, that this week we would just see and capture a glimpse of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. God, this morning, I pray for courage to take that next step, whatever that next step is for us that we won't stand in the sidelines anymore, Father, but that we would engage the world, Father, through the work of the local church. So use us, inspire us, Father. Help us know you more. In Jesus' name we pray.